John's Gospel, John chapter 1, if you would turn there in your Bibles. I don't know about you, but when I surrendered my life to the Lord, you know, the next question was, what now? What do I do? And, and there were many people who said to me, you need to start reading the Gospel of John. And, um, and I kind of followed that pattern, you know, um, when I would share the Gospel with someone, if they would respond, they'd place their faith in the Lord, they would ask, what do I do now? And I'd say, read the Gospel of John, study the Gospel of John. And uh, maybe that was true for you. So keep that in mind, you know, you're, you're a new convert. You know nothing. You know that if I place my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, I'll be saved. Well, that's something. I mean, that's what you need to know. But you don't know much more than that. And then you open up the Gospel of John and you begin to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. And you put the Bible down and say, what? <laughs> Guys, you know, we have four gospel accounts. We have the synoptic gospels, so they're called synoptic because they're similar. We have Matthew, of course, written to the Jews. Matthew quotes more of the Old Testament than any of the other gospel writers. You have Mark's gospel account written, we believe, to the Romans. He presents Jesus as a servant of the Lord. It's a fast-moving, short gospel account. You have Luke, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the son of man, and uh, written to the Greek, more the Hellenist uh, mindset. And then you have John. John's gospel is unique. It's different from the other three. And John's gospel is believed to be written to the whole world. And yet you look at the gospel accounts, how they begin, and we know that the, both Matthew and Luke open with the birth of Jesus, that would be a good place to start, you know, the birth of Jesus. We understand that this wasn't his beginning, this was his incarnation. Mark doesn't mention the birth of Christ at all, he just goes right into the ministry. And John, well, <laughs> well John, he goes all the way back to the beginning. And it might not be the beginning that you're thinking of. You might be thinking of the beginning of the gospel, but it wasn't the beginning of the gospel. Lord, we pray that as we study your word today and as we begin our study in the gospel of John, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us. We pray, Father, that our faith would be built up, strengthened, that our confidence in you would be solid, firm, steadfast, and movable. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may, may know this, and I, I think it's intriguing, you know, um, and we can't take this too far, but numbers, numbers seem to be somewhat important in the Bible. The number seven is a number that you see quite often in the Bible. If you're a student of the scriptures, you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, you surely see it, um, in fact, you see it seven times seven in the book of Revelation, seven. And it's interesting that John 
writes his gospel account. Obviously, he writes the gospel account so that those who read his account may know who Jesus is. So John, he takes the approach of simply taking seven of Jesus' miracles, not eight, not six, not ten, seven. It's the number of completion. And he builds his gospel around those seven miracles. He also takes seven I am statements from Jesus, and he builds his gospel account around those seven I am statements. So let me give you just a real quick uh, idea of what I'm talking about. First of all, the miracles. We have the water into wine. You know that none of the other gospel writers even touch on that. The healing of the official son. We have the healing at the pool of Bethesda. We have the feeding of the 5,000. No mention of the feeding of the 4,000 in John's gospel, but there is the feeding of the 5,000. We have Jesus walking on the water. We have the healing of the uh, man born blind in John chapter 9. And then we have Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Don't you think it's interesting that Matthew and Mark and Luke, they didn't even touch on Lazarus being raised from the dead. You would think that would be a major thing that you'd want to focus on, but they didn't even touch it. And then the seven I am's. We have the I am from Jesus. I am the bread of life in John 6. We have the I am the light of the world, John 8. We have the I am the door or the gate, John 10. We have I am the good shepherd, John 10. We have I am the resurrection and the life. Remember he said that right after he or before, actually, he rose Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. And then we have the I am the way, the truth, and the life, John chapter 14. And then last but surely not least, I am the vine, John chapter 15. Now, this makes John's gospel account unique. It's different. In fact, it has been referred to as a more mystical gospel account. I don't know what they mean by that, but it does <laughs> soar. I, I mean, as you read it, there's things that you're just so drawn to the Lord, drawn to Jesus. It's like in John's gospel account, to me, when I read it, when I study it, it's like everything is reduced down to Jesus. I mean, my thoughts are on Jesus and what he's doing and how he's interacting with different individuals. And we have these encounters that Jesus has with individuals that are just so, you almost feel like you're encroaching upon a private moment, you know. And we see that in John's gospel account. John, he ends his gospel account, the last verse of the last chapter of John's account, he wrote this, and there are also, many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written and written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then he wrote, Amen. That's John chapter 21, verse 25. So think about that. When you study the accounts, you know, the gospel accounts, we have the miracles, we have the teachings of Jesus, we have all these things. But John says, man, there was so much more, so much more. Now, saying that, don't be deceived. I don't know why, and people do this. Listen, there's a pattern. I don't know why people say, well, there's those hidden books, you know. Those hidden books. The hidden books always seem to contradict the books that we have. 
And it seems to me that the only people that are interested in the hidden books or these other books that contradict the books that we have are people that don't spend much time at all in the word, in the books that we have, in the letters that we have, in the gospel accounts that we have. Because I'll tell you, there is plenty here for a thousand lifetimes, more than that, if we had only the Gospel of John, if we had only the first five verses of John's Gospel account, we would have enough to ponder for the rest of our life because these things are so heavy. Once again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Guys, if you're familiar with John's writings, you know that John has a format. Now, John, he was a man, fully man. He took pen to paper, however he wrote this, and he wrote these words. But remember that each writer of the scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like they were just simply going off of their memory or whatever. I think I'll write this. I don't think I'll write that. They were being led by the Spirit of God. That's what the scripture teaches, that all scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. And so John, as, as he's writing, he wants his readers to have a firm foundation and the firm foundation of their faith has to be, who is Jesus? Who is he? Now, that seems like an elementary question for church people, but, you know, the longer I serve the Lord and pastor and minister to people, I find that it's not an elementary question. In fact, it's a question that many people are hard-pressed to answer. There's always those who are troubled when someone like me says, Jesus is God, they go, oh, whoa, that, that sounds heretical. Jesus is God? Yes, Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. There are three gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No, one God. The Bible's clear about that. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. But we see the Trinity, we see the teaching of the Trinity, though it's hard to wrap our human minds around it, being taught throughout the scriptures. In the beginning, it refers to the timeless eternity of Genesis 1.1. John doesn't say, in the beginning of the gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. Note, note the time frame. Note the sequence of the scriptures here. In the beginning refers to the timeless eternity of Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is, if you will, John's Genesis of Jesus. The Genesis of Jesus. In the beginning. John wrote... That when the beginning began, the word, Jesus, was already there. John makes it clear that the word, Jesus, is the origin of the beginning of all things. Jesus, the word, 
was there in the beginning before anything was. Jesus, the word, predates time and creation. Now, guys, this is something we need to know. This needs to be settled. Who is Jesus? He was a great man. He was a great prophet. He was, no, 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 no. That's, he is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the manifestation of God. In fact, the word, word, <laughs> the word logos or logos literally means the divine expression. So the word is, you know, if you had a thought. So you have a thought, and you could have that thought, and it could be a good thought, but it's locked in your brain. And until you communicate with the spoken word what that thought is, everyone's in the dark concerning that thought. And that's how it is with the Lord. God, the expression of, of God, who is invisible, who cannot be seen by man, is Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the logos, the divine expression. In fact, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's Jesus. Guys, God's invisible. You know, I think of the heretical things that have entered the church. I think of uh, the <laughs> the shack. Um, I remember when the book came out, and someone that I appreciated endorsed the book, and so I thought I'll read the book. In fact, I was going to Germany on a mission trip, and I was going with uh, I don't know how many pastors there were, maybe maybe six of us or eight of us, something like that. And we get on the plane to fly to Germany, and we all sit down and we all pull out the same paperback book. We all had the same thing in mind. This new book came out. We'll read this book. And short little book, The, the Shack, and we began reading it. And we would kind of, you know, reach across and, well, what do you think? Did, what chapter are you on? What do you think of that? I don't know. That doesn't sit well. Oh, I think this is great. This is one. So varied opinions on it, you know. Now, of course, time has gone by. The Shack. Now there's a whole program about The Shack. There's a movie about The Shack. There's a study guide about The Shack. <laughs> we know something about the author of The Shack. He's a universalist. In essence, he believes that uh, all people will be saved. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not, you know. You say, oh, Dan, why do you have to be so critical? Listen, somebody has to. All of us should. All of us should be critical about the truth of the word of God because what's at stake is the souls of men and women. When heretical teachings are just kind of, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, I know someone who came to faith in Christ uh, you know, from that book or from that program or whatever it might be. Taking that approach, you need to ask yourself, well, have they placed their faith in the Jesus of the Bible? The Jesus of the Bible, who is in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Is it that Jesus? 
you know, before I was saved, I did a lot of things that uh, kind of people in my generation did. We, we started looking for truth in other places, you know, not the church, and started going to temples and uh, things like that, Buddhism and uh, Krishna and uh, practiced different forms of meditation and all of the stuff coming from India, you know, some of you embrace these things as well. I, I would say to you, you need to do your due diligence and know what you're involved in. But see, this is how the her heretical teachings enter the church. It enters little by little by little, and before long, the church has embraced these false teachings. This is why here at Calvary, Nate and I, you know, we're doing the primary teaching here, but others that are teaching, be it Tracy or the ladies or the youth people teaching, um, those who take the word of God seriously, we call out these heretical things because these heretical things are leading people astray. Um, I mentioned at the first service, you know, I used to talk a lot about or against, talk a lot against the emergent church when that was a thing. And of course, no one talks about the emergent church any longer because it's just not a topic. It's not a thing any longer. And the reason the emergent church is not a topic that we would talk about because the emergent church has emerged to mainline Christianity. And so most Christians, sadly, that aren't being fed by the word of God, I mean really growing in their faith because of the word of God, they have embraced things that came directly from the emergent church that now are just seen as, this is just part of Christianity, it doesn't matter. The emergent church has emerged. Now we say it's the progressive church, you know. It's anything goes. You could have this, you could practice Eastern practices and meditations and you know, all these types of things. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, as long as you benefit from it. Because the emergent church is all about you. And you'll notice in the first five verses of John's gospel, it's all about him. So we got to get over ourselves <laughs> because it's not about us. The, the world does not revolve around us. The Lord did not create us for our happiness, but for his good pleasure. I mean, this is what the scriptures teach, of course. But I think of how we need to be so careful. God is invisible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So you'd say, well, uh, hey, he's firstborn. What does that mean? He had to have been born. No, that's not what it means. Remember that Jesus is the first of the resurrection. Do you remember that? That's an, another reference to Jesus. He is the first of the resurrection. You say, well, wait a minute. No, he's not. Not chronologically. I mean, Elijah, Elijah, didn't both of them resurrect? dead little boys, and uh, Jesus himself in his ministry, long before he went to the cross, you know, he, he resurrected Jairus' daughter who was dead, and Lazarus, of course, who was dead for four days, and then when Jesus died upon the cross, Matthew tells us that the graves of many were open, and they were resurrected from the dead, so Jesus isn't the first it's not speaking chronologically. It's speaking of the supremacy 
It denotes that he, in this verse, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It denotes that he precedes the whole of creation and he is sovereign over all of creation. It doesn't mean that he's a created being or a born individual. Jesus is Lord. And John began his account by stating certain facts about Jesus, the Word. In verse 1, look what it says, was the Word. Jesus is the Word, and he was there. Jesus is eternal God. Verse 1, the second part of it, the Word was God. Jesus is eternally God. Why? Well, because it just said the Word was God. The Word was God. We would say the Word is God. But he's speaking about the beginning. He's speaking about a particular time in human history, the creation, not human history, preceding human history. And then verse 2, he was in the beginning. Jesus is God. Remember in the Genesis account, how did God create the earth? Did he form it? Did he mold it? Did he put it on a great big potter's will and form the mountains and the valleys? No. We read nine times in the first chapter of Genesis, God said. So from that, we gather that God spoke creation, all things, creation into existence. God spoke. What is John telling us? In the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus is the word. Are you following this, guys? I, I know that for it just—I mean, some of this stuff—it just seems like gosh, it's kind of hard to follow. There's so much here, and there really is. But hopefully, it's something that will whet your appetite, so you'll go home and just kind of meditate and read through, and maybe make a list of the first five verses of this chapter, so that you can understand them greater. God, God is one, manifested in three persons. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the Trinity. I was telling the first service that over the years, um, there are times when people will come in. It's usually, for some reason, it's been this way three times. We've had uh, a wife. She'll come in. She'll bring her husband. Her husband is a non-believer. They come. They attend the church. The husband seems to show interest. He wants to hear more. He wants to stay put. And uh, usually the wife will, uh, you know, make an appointment to meet with me, with her husband, and they'll come in and they'll say something like this. We like the church, but what we don't like is you, you refer to Jesus as being God. And I always ask the same question. I always say, are you a Jehovah Witness or do you come from a Jehovah Witness background? And on all three occasions, they said, yes, but that has nothing to do with this. And I said, this has everything to do with that. Your mind has been washed, brainwashed, <laughs> to believe that, that Jesus is lesser than he is. The Jehovah Witness believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel. I don't know how they wrap their minds around that, but, but you, you know, you, I can't understand the Trinity, so I'm going to try to package the Trinity in a way that I could understand as a man. How prideful, how arrogant. There are many things I don't understand as a human being, but 
but I still accept them because the word of God teaches them. I'll know them, I'll understand them when I'm in his presence, but until then, I will walk by faith. The Trinity, we have the word, Jesus. Jesus is God because he's eternal. He was in the beginning. The word, Jesus, he is God because he's plainly called called God. The word was God. And then at the same time, we have the Father. The Father is a distinct person from the Word. It says it, look at in verse 1 of our text, the second part, the Word was with God. The Word is God. The Word was with God. The Father, the Son, the Word are equally God, yet distinct in their person. The Father is not the Son, the Son's not the Father, but they are one. Remember what Jesus said, we'll see it, in fact, in John's Gospel account, I and my Father are one. You say, why do these things matter? Oh, this stuff is too heady. It's not heady. This is Bible. This is Bible. The third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. He's referred to as the promise of the Father by Luke, the promise of the Father Uh, Luke ends his gospel speaking of the promise of the Father. And then he opens his second book, the book of Acts, Luke's second book, with the promise of the Father. Here's the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Remember John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but he who comes after me will baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in fact, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he referred to him as the paracletus or the helper. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Listen, listen to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, guys. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John chapter 14, verse 26. So here's the deal, guys. If you're a child of God, if you've truly placed your faith in Christ, you've been born again, born of the Spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You are born again, born of the Spirit. His Spirit comes and takes residence within you. You've become the temple of the Holy Spirit. To what end? Just to hang out with us? No. That he might teach us all things. I, I'm going to take a little detour here for a moment, and I, I I've noticed. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking for patterns that aren't there, but it seems that there are patterns. I've found over the years, and it's usually older men. And I think that maybe. The older men that have approached me and talked to me about the topic that I'm going to tell you in just a moment, I think that with their age comes a reality that I'm, I'm closer to death than I was, you know. And humility comes into their life. Maybe they didn't have the humility as younger men, but I think that the humility now is there and they, maybe they feel frail in their health. And I've had many men come to me, older men, and I I value the friendship, I value 
these older men, you know. Even though I've been walking with the Lord longer than these older men that I'm referring to, they're still my elder. They're, they're older than me. And they'll say to me, as we talk, something about the Lord's return. And yes, we're, I believe we're at the end. I don't know when he's coming. I think it's soon. And I'm nodding in agreement. And I'm adding to what they're saying. And then comes the question. And it's not really a question for me. It's more like a statement. And it goes something like this. I hope that I'll go when he comes. I hope, and they'll say something like this, I hope that I've done enough. And I always, I always try to reassure them, if you've truly placed your faith in Christ, you are saved. I mean, it's not faith plus works. Works are the byproduct. Works are kind of, they follow the fact that we're born again. You know, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know, the Lord has preordained good works for us to walk in and so forth. But we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses. Paul wrote, Moreover then, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. So guys, that's the purpose of the word of God, that we might stand. Not wavering, not, oh, I hope, I wonder, I, you know, that we may stand. By which you are saved. And then Paul adds an if. He says, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. See, that's why I always stress to folks that are questioning their salvation. And usually, again, it's usually the older guys that feel comfortable coming up to me, talking to me, and they'll say, I hope, I hope that I've done enough. I hope that I'm ready. And I want to remind them, it's faith in Christ alone. But here's the reason I bring this up. Do you think that the Lord wants his people to live with the big question mark hanging over their head? Do you think he wants us to live our lives thinking, I hope, I, I hope that when the Lord comes, I hope if the rapture was to come today that I would go, I hope. Do you think, I don't think so at all. I think as I study the scriptures that the Lord wants us to have assurance. He wants us to have peace. And I can't think of anything that takes your peace more away, uh, away faster than not knowing what your, <laughs> what your eternity, eternal destiny is. He wants us to have that. So here's the point, guys. You have the spirit of the living God. You have the Father, the loving Father, who invites us to cry out to him, Abba, Father, Papa, Abba. It's respect. It's not a, a rude type of thing. We have Jesus, our Savior, the one who died and was resurrected in our place. He wants us to have the assurance, and we will have the assurance if we're people of his word. If we're not people of his word, then you need to take very seriously that if of Paul. If. Don't doubt. Get into the word. You say, I can't. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. If you don't get it, you don't understand it, 
there's one of two reasons. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in Christ, truly. I mean, maybe you're trusting in some other Jesus. Maybe you're trusting in a Jesus of the shock or the Jesus of one of the gurus or the Jesus of, you know, <laughs> Jehovah Witnesses or the Jesus of Mormons, whatever. They're different Jesuses. They're not the same Jesus. Maybe that's the problem. But I would venture to say that the reason most saved people don't have that assurance because we're not doing our due diligence. It's not on him, it's on us. It's like he says here, this is my word, I give it to you. There's 66 books here, many authors, all inspired by the same spirit. As you read it, my child, as you read it, my son, my daughter, you're going to find that there is a flow, there is, a, there is this this repeating of truths throughout from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see this, this, this unity within the scriptures. It's not disconnected. It totally flows together like one vein, you know. And you're going to be blessed. And as you read it, you're going to be equipped to share the gospel with other people. And as you read it, you're going to have the conviction to want to share the gospel with others. And as you read it, you're going to want to take church seriously. You know, not you just come strolling in. You're, you're going to come and say, with purpose, I want to be here. I want to be here to worship. I want to be here to study God's word. I want to be here to, to pray with people and help people. I mean, your whole life changes when you come to faith, genuine faith in Christ. So, you know, if you're not saved, then you need to repent. You need to turn to Christ. But again, I think that most fall into the category of lazy. Not lost, but lazy. Well, verse 3, all things, all things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made. The word has created all things. Jesus is the creator. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 for he himself, or excuse me, for by him all things were created. The him there is Jesus. You can go and look at it so that you'll see for yourself that it's speaking of Jesus. For by him all things were created that are, note this, in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and What's that last, do you remember the last bit? For him. For him. Not for us. For him. I'll tell you, Christianity is so liberating. What does it liberate us from? Self. Self. I think of, you know, I think of before coming to Christ and, and listening to, you know, these, these gurus, these guys from the, India or something, and they would say all these things, and, and at face value, it, it might sound like in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, you know, it might sound like that, but, but they would always talk about the light, and it's the light within you, and you need to release that kundalini 
uh, power, that, that snake within, you know, the core. Well, we keep hearing terms like this. Where do they come from? Go back to the origins. Go back to the roots. But it's always focused on man. Always focused on man. Oh, you're not experiencing it? Well, you know. But I'll tell you, John wants us to say, no, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And we need to respond. And how do we respond? It's like any relationship. You know, when, when Tracy and I were dating, I wanted to be with Tracy all the time. And there were many nights. We lived uh, about 45 minutes away from each other. We used to live right like in the same town. And then our family moved to the coast, and then Tracy and I started dating. I mean, what a bummer. And um, I would drive my little Volkswagen bug out there, or I'd hitchhike, you know, and, and uh, there would be many times that I would crash out on her couch. Her parents had the most comfortable down, I mean, it was down, feathers, down couch. And I spent a lot of nights on that couch. But I just wanted to be with her all the time. I'd leave her house. I mean, this is before cell phones, you know, so you have to use your imagination a little bit. But I would, I would I'd leave her house. I'd drive the 45 minutes home. The first thing I'd do when I'd walk in the door, I'd get on the phone and say, how you doing? I just wanted to talk to her. Why? Because I loved her. Because I love her. But back then, this, this, I loved her, and I just wanted to spend time with her. And, and I'll tell you, guys, you know, it's not a good comparison but it's a comparison that works, at least within my brain. When I came to faith in Christ, it was like this love relationship with the Lord. It's like I just wanted to hear about him. I wanted to be with people that loved him, that wanted to talk about him, that wanted to worship him. I wanted to study his word because it, I felt like, boy, the more I study his word and the more I know his word, I feel like I'm closer to him. You know what I mean? It's a relationship. And I'll tell you what. After 45 years, it's not waning. It's getting stronger. And I pray. My, my, one of my biggest prayers, the older I get, is that I don't ever lose my mind. Honestly, you know, a lot of people we know get dementia and stuff. That's just so sad. And my prayer is, Lord, when you're done with me, I just want to I wanna walk. I want to be like Enoch in the sense that he walked with God and then he was not because God took him. And I don't mean just rapture. I'm, I mean, I'm up for rapture. But even in death, I just want to step right from this life into his presence. And that's how it should be. If he's like an insurance policy just in case of death, you know. Yeah, to sign on the dotted line, then there's no relationship. You guys know what I'm talking about. And that's what he wants of us. This is why he uses words that are so endearing. Bride, son, daughter, adopted. I was listening to a song on the way in early this morning, and the song was singing about being adopted. And there's something about that you know it's now Paul or John talks about when he talked to Nicodemus Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he says that which is born of God so we understand that being born again spiritually reborn born of God so there's that picture there but Paul liked to use the illustration of adoption and I'll tell you there's something really really sweet about that because adoption is you go out of your way I want you 
I want you to be a part of my family. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture that the Lord gives us in his word. And we should be people who read these things and just sit there and just kind of go, oh, Lord. Oh, you're so good, Lord. Man, I think at the time I wasted in my youth meditating, emptying my mind. I was talking to Nate about that. You know, I've mentioned it here before, but I think I was 15 years old. I was meditating, and uh, the whole thing about Eastern meditation is empty your mind. Doesn't that sound like something the devil would come up with? It is. Empty your mind. And, uh, and I emptied my mind, and all of a sudden I started, I felt like something was, wanted to come in. And I started screaming and yelling and thrashing. And my mother came into my bedroom and she slapped me in the face. And she said, what are you on? And I said, I'm not on anything. And I just felt tormented because I was inviting something demonic into me. And I thought this was something good that was going to benefit me. But I think at the time I wasted there, and I think of how biblical meditation, it's not empty your mind, it's fill your mind. Fill your mind with God's word. Fill your mind with God's character. Fill your mind with God's love. Fill your mind with God's precepts and judgments. And, and you just, just kind of, and I find myself, sometimes I watch my wife do it, where we just kind of read, and then you just kind of pause. And I know what's happening in the pause. When I watch Tracy do it, I know what's happening. She's thinking. She's pondering. She's just, sometimes I'll hear her across the room go, hmm. I know what's happening there. This is what the Lord desires. Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. <laughs> Guys, he didn't create just the things that are visible, but the things that are invisible. The thrones and the dominions and the principalities. Remember that from Ephesians? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these unseen spirits, demonic creatures. God created all things through the word, which means that Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is eternal God. And then verse 4, got to wrap this up, in him was life. Do you know that there are key words in the Bible, and again, this is one of those blessings that we get as students of the word of God. We read, and we start, we see this pattern. Like, you know, you read and you realize, I know, I know how John writes. I mean, I'm not trying to act prideful, but just as a student of the word. How does John write? Well, John writes in such a way that he lays down a truth and then he goes and then he comes back to that truth that he laid down. And you'll, and you'll see that through 1 John. I mean, we noted that when Nate and I were going through 1 John on uh, Wednesday nights. You see it, the same thing in the gospel. He keeps bringing it back around. It's like he just wants, I want you to get this. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. And then when the, you know, the light begins to go off, you say, oh, Lord, your word, it's not like any other book. It's alive. It's living. See, there's the blessing. Well, the word life is a key word in John's gospel account. It's used 36 times in his gospel account. Jesus is life. 
Now you say, okay, okay, I get it. So Jesus is the creator of all things. So Jesus is the creator of life. So therefore, Jesus is life. Yeah, but I think there's more than just that. <laughs> Anyone who's truly been born again knows, if, unless you, you know, kind of grew up in a Christian home, a lot of kids do that, you know, you, and you ask them, when did you come to faith in Christ? And they say, I don't know, I, I just kind of always believed, you know. I still think that kids that grow up like that, because I know that I watched it with my kids, that there was an age where it just kind of clicked for them. And they were, I believe, born again at that time. But, but anyone who's come to faith in Christ, maybe in their teens or later, they know that there is surely a life before Christ. And then there is a life in and after Christ. Your life changes. He is life. He is life. I mean, you just, I, think of your life. Do you ever do that? I sit and I think of my life. I think of decisions I've made. I think of the hardships and the difficulties and everything else. And I'll tell you, the older you get and the longer you walk with Jesus, you appreciate even the difficult times. Because you realize you don't realize it at the time. So no judgment. If you're going through hardships and you're going, man, this is not fun. We all feel that way when we're going through difficult times. But as you walk with the Lord and you see his faithfulness, you'll come to where you'll look back and you'll say, that was the worst time of our life. Oh, it was. But didn't God use it? Oh, God was so gracious, so kind during that time. Yes, he was. And you'll talk about the worst time of your life as if it was the greatest time of your life because of the fruit that came from it. That's life in Christ. Jesus is life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus, the word, does not just manifest life and light. He is, he is life and light. He's not a light, as the mystics might say. He's a light, you know. No, no, no. He is the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think of, I mean, when I was 17 years old, I wanted to die so bad. I was so done with life. 17 Oh, man, so dark, so depressed. Even the good things, they just, you know, they weren't that good. And then, man, 20 years old. Now, things changed when I married Tracy because, you know what, that was kind of like that temporary, like, uplift for me because I was in love with Tracy and I thought now my life is going to be fulfilled because of Tracy but that's a lot to put that's high expectations to put on somebody don't do that to your husband or wife because they're always going to let you down right because they're imperfect but then a year after coming to faith in Christ I or a year after uh, being married uh, I surrendered my life to Christ and it was like the Lord just kind of went, 
and like breathed like life into me. And I'm telling you, you know, I, I, I've struggled at different times of my life with depression and, you know, the blues and that type of stuff. But I'll tell you, Christ is hope at the end of a dark tunnel. You know what I mean, guys? And if, if you're there, if you're in that dark, man, turn to Jesus. It's not hype. But, you, but don't just say, yes, Jesus, I want to turn to you. you got to make it real. you got to pursue him. you got to love him. Remember, whoever seeks, whoever knocks, whoever asks, you know, there's our part. We're not just kind of, you know, standing there. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I like this. It did not comprehend it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. That's what my dad said. Danny, well, what do you mean you're born again? What does that even mean? Danny, what do you mean you received Jesus? We raised you in a Christian home. What do you mean? I don't understand this. Darkness can't under, understand it. They can't comprehend it. It also means to overcome it. In fact, the New Living Translation reads this way. And the darkness can never extinguish it. Isn't that wonderful? Guys, dark things come, dark times come, oppressing times. You know, sometimes the enemy just unleashes his principalities and powers on us. And, and we just feel like we're under it. And I think that we're seeing an increase of that in the last days in which we live. So don't be surprised, Christian. I'm speaking to Christian, not non-Christian. Christians, when you're having these sleep paralysis and stuff like that it's demonic I'm telling you it's demonic but you call out on Jesus you call on the name of Jesus because he is the light and he is the life darkness will never overcome the light and I need to remind myself of that because the thing that troubles me more than the darkness in the world is the darkness in the church that, that troubles me. You know, Nate and I were talking yesterday, and we're saying how we, it's interesting with the word. Sometimes you look at it differently, and then as time goes on, you get some clarity. And, and we were talking about how uh, I said to Nate, I said, I, I, I really thought that in the last days, the Philadelphia church, little strength, but, you know, faithful, that that would be the majority of the church, and then the Laodicea uh, church, you know, the church of people's rights, I'd like to vote on that, you know, and um, <laughs> that they would be the minority. And now we're living in the last days, and we realize it's the other way around. The Laodicean church is the minority of Christendom, at least in the West. And it's so sad, and it's so tragic and progressive Christianity, and things that are being embraced that the Lord specifically spoke about. It's not like it was a gray area and people didn't know. It's this thumbing of the nose to God and his word and saying, we don't care what that says. And this is the day in which we live. And that discourages me. But I need to remember, darkness will never overcome the light of Jesus. So here it is. Come on up, bud. Uh, yeah, come on up. John shows his readers who Jesus is. We've looked at five verses, and John has shown us five things about Jesus. Jesus is the word. He is the logos. He is the divine expression. 
Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. Five revelations of Jesus in five short verses. If that's all we had, wouldn't we have a lot to chew on for a long, long time? So what do we do with this, you know? Well, you got to believe. Believe and receive. It's not enough to know these things. It's not enough to know. We need to live for him. Guys, think of your life. I don't want to bum you out before you leave, but just think of your life. Think of the energy you've put into your own happiness, your own pleasure, your own stuff, you know self-improvement and this is going to make me happy and this is what the answer is and it might work for a while I mean everything kind of has a shelf life you know but in the long run you realize man I'm right back where I was I'm disappointed I'm discouraged I'm I have no hope Some people will say, I tried Jesus. I would argue that all day long. I tried Jesus and he wasn't there for me. I tried Jesus and he didn't come through for me. I tried Jesus and I'm thinking, how did you try him? Like you try on a pair of shoes, you know? Sometimes shoes need to be broken into <laughs> before they get comfortable. Bad illustration. But you know, it's walking with the Lord. I mean, you think of it, I tried parenting, but, you know, it just didn't work for me. I kicked those kids out. I tried marriage, but, you know, it just didn't fly for me, you know. I tried breathing, but just not into it. Stand with me, please. Lord, we pray that we would believe and receive you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray. For each person in this room or downstairs or watching the live stream, Lord, I pray, Father, that the firm foundation that Jesus is the Lagos, the divine expression of God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is eternal, that Jesus is creator of all things, that Jesus is life and light. I pray that that foundation would be firm and that our lives would be built upon those truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.